Windsor Terrace is rolling. Studio City maybe is we rolling. Should, maybe we should keep Sausage Podcast on Wednesday since that's where it was. Dave, I yes, okay. <laughs> Talk about it after the record. <laughs> yes, well, he's going to announce it, so I figured. Yeah, so let's say Wednesdays because if we're going to be, you're right, we're going to be doubling up big podcasts anyway. So okay, so next let's, Wednesday. Let's leave it Wednesdays because that's when people know it, know to expect it. Okay. All right. All right, so making the sausage with... Nick Reinwell Jones yes. is going to start dropping again on Wednesdays. However, I found out something very interesting this week. Oh, no. His real name is Nikolai. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Crate Podcast, episode 147 for the week of March 6, 2017. I am New Candy Cult Skittles, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Esprit Sweatshirt, Sarah D. Brunting. Off the shoulder, Brunting. comrade. <laughs> Aspiring librarian, Tari Ariano. Books are fun! And capitalism-sniffing dog, Nick Reinwell-Jones. I looks for Taunus Pools and Western propagandas. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for bearing with us during our week of minis last week while I was at Disney World, uh, <laughs> breaking a hole in my foot. Uh, it was a lot of walking. Here to join us this week to discuss The Americans, which returns for its fifth season this week, is Nick Reinwald Jones. Hello, Nick. Hello. Hello. Yay! Uh, <laughs> The amazing thing about the Americans, I have to say, and as and I say this as someone who has covered it every episode for I think it's starting in season two. We're talking uh, about the show, not the people. We're talking about the show on FX, not the not the people, guys. not <laughs> the fine, fine people of this country. No, the FX drama starring Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese um, is is how well it handles the scope of what it's trying to. do. Do I often? I mean, Twenty Four is a bad example as another spy show because it's stupid. It's it was always meant to be bombastic in that kind of scandaly way. But I appreciate um, how economical the Americans is in keeping its story small and yet still compelling. And Nick, I know you are a fan of the show. What did you think of that? Do you think I'm right? And do you think that applies to the season premiere, which we have watched? No, I totally agree. I think they always do a good job at the beginning of the season of not losing you in the weeds and opening up too many threads. I will say that this one seemed even more kind of slow and subtle than than usual for a season premiere. Like, I didn't feel like they dropped any real big hammers the first week. Like, they kind mm-hmm. of, they started some new threads. You know, you've got Tuan and you've got the, the Russian family that they're trying to infiltrate somehow. Um, yep. And then carrying over with, uh, with, with uh, poor William and his corpse and everything. Poor William. But there wasn't, they, usually there's, it seems like there's some kind of like big deal event in the season premiere that kind of sets off everything for the rest of the of the season like in the second season there's the whole you know other spy family getting murdered and then the mystery surrounding that and there wasn't really anything like that here i think that they assume that they have like the goodwill of the audience enough at this point for everyone to trust them that they are going to be getting into big deal things later on and you know just kind of let them start to set the stage and and just be patient and i mean that's that's how i 
that's how it will be. I didn't watch any more beyond the first episode, so I don't know. Yeah, if we they, haven't either. Uh, if, if it escalates starting in the second week, but I'm, I'm assuming it, it does not take long to. Yeah. Speaking about the slow burn. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe we'll skip out a sequence here, but we need to talk about the, uh, I'm going to say 10 minute long digging scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was <laughs> it only 10 minutes? <laughs> um, I kind of feel like I know what they were going for, but I'm not entirely sure they were successful in sort of marrying sort of the monotony of digging all night and the tension of digging in a U.S. Army base. It just seemed to kind of like fall flat for me there. Like, do you what do you think they were going for mood wise with that scene? And do you think they were successful? Because I was sort of checking my watch during that one, like wondering when something is going to happen let's, and if I should be feeling something that I'm obviously not. Let's start with Sarah, who does not normally watch the show. Sarah, how did that sequence um, work for you? For her, I'm sure. My yeah, my notes said, "Oh, good, another week of digging." Uh, I agree, Dave, that they were trying to they were trying to. Um, essay a combination of this is a you know dangerous mission and like physically in terms of executing it if there were no pressure to complete it before daylight it would just be grueling and dull mm-hmm. but I feel like the editing was poor in terms of like okay you know we get it and then after another couple of minutes like okay we get it and then it came back around to sort of working and then it like it took another turn of the gyre through this is just like boring filler. Why? I mean, the thing that I do like about the show, I'm not a regular watcher. Carrie Russell's performance is generally just a little off-putting to me. I'm sure that's how it's supposed to be, but like it just, the show in the first few episodes, I just wasn't really into it and I let it drop. Um, But what I do like about the show usually when I'm watching it for this podcast is how they approach process and how they sort of incorporate these details of what it was like to be raised in mother Russia and like the sense memories that American things give them of Russia. Like there was a short exchange about like making soup from like a, you know, shoelace and a single onion or something that I thought was great. Um, But that, that did not, work for me and Paige's continued existence does not work for me. I can never <laughs> watch the show because she's the fucking worst. She's so slappable and I just can't. Do other people have this problem with her or do I lack context for Paige? Well, Tara, well, you're, you you go first because out of everybody here, I think you have the most, most uh, hatred for children. <laughs> I do. <laughs> However, in Paige's defense, she did see a guy get his throat slashed in front of her by, by her mother. By her mother. Yeah, and she's last been season. raised in a lie for her entire life. And yeah. I mean, I'm more sympathetic to her this for sure this season than I was last season when she was all narking on her parents to the to Pastor Groovy Hair. Um, because I feel like she has, you know, more to deal with every every passing day and less and less capacity to like she has fewer outlets to actually deal with that. And even when all she wants is just like a regular boyfriend who lives across the street, like her parents have to ruin that, too. So I have more empathy for her than I did early on. She's 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 got a tough life, you guys. And the best her mother can do to try to, you know, help her through it is I'm going to teach you how to fight, which like I get it. But I feel like Elizabeth is trying to remake 
Paige into her own tough image and that Paige is, you know, she has not literally has not been raised for that. That wasn't their. It seems like it wasn't their plan all along to turn the kids into spies also. So I, I not you know, their plan, but the. It, yes, the it has center. been the center's plan yeah. for a couple of seasons. But, you know, they that also seems to have kind of dropped. Mm-hmm. They haven't they haven't brought that up. Anyway, Nick, what do you think? Uh, not just teach her to fight, but take her into the garage and just start shoving her, which was like... I mean, look, I'm not oh, a yeah. parent. I can understand the appeal. <laughs> like, that's that's like, the pretext I'll give for you what we're doing to cry today. About, kid. Um, <laughs> I'm going to knock you down. It's to, there, it's to so, make things better, trust me. Um, a couple of years ago, I used to listen to this podcast where they interviewed the people who worked on the Americans and it was, it was like, I think they still have it now, but it's, it's hosted by someone outside the show. It used to be hosted by like the script coordinator of the show. So it was really cool and kind of inside baseball about stuff, but they had Carrie Russell on uh, a couple times. And she said that like sometimes in scenes where like, you know, it's like really tense between them and Paige, like as soon as they stop rolling, Carrie Russell would just go, fuck you, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my awesome. god. You're the best. She does a good job of like having that be the subtext a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, she she does seem like she wants Paige to fuck off, and sometimes Paige should for sure. But um, um Yeah. I so the the digging thing, I, I know that I'm I'm sure that part of the reason you have me on here is because you know that I'm insufferable about everything relating to spy movies and literature and stuff. So I can tell you that's that exactly the I, word we use behind your back. Yes. <laughs> go on. <laughs> so, uh, cause I, we all know I'm a big fan of trade craft. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. But I can say that I'm pretty sure that the digging scene is a conscious allusion to this movie, this French movie from the fifties called Rafifi. That's kind of a, it's, it's not a movie that most people have heard of, but it's like a very, considered like a very pivotal movie in the evolution of of like spy and caper movies and there is a like at least 15 minute sequence in that movie that's that has no dialogue that is just like a a group of thieves like tunneling into like they they want to steal jewels from an apartment so they rent the apartment above it and they tunnel through it and it's just like 15 minutes of like no talking just like doing the work and it's cool because it just kind of sends a message like this is a job this is this is hard work this is not just all glamorous and that's clearly like i think they were they were alluding to that and showing that on on this episode but i agree it was i i think they thought it was cooler than it came off as, especially because there wasn't like a huge payoff at the end of it either. Like, but at, at a certain point you're like, Oh, they're digging up William. Okay. And then that's pretty much what happens. I, I, maybe I'm the idiot. Cause I did not get that. That was what was happening at all. <laughs> I didn't know I at the thought... beginning, but like about halfway through the digging, I figured it out. I was like, okay, this must be a grave. It's probably William. They right. Need to get right. Some well, it was, yes. It well, was I went definitely from, deep. I went from, okay, they're digging up William. That makes sense. And then they got to like, six and then like 10 feet i'm like okay he's either really far down and then i thought maybe they're building like a listening station they could well, bury that's what under I thought the too. thing yeah and then they finally like at 25 million feet hit the coffin <laughs> yeah. but then my question is so you know they buried it you know four times as deep as you know a grave usually is it's in a metal uh you know hermetically sealed coffin you know and then the side is all wrapped in stuff why all that not just incinerate the body? That's what I that's thought. Yeah, case. why not cremate well, him he, if he's that dangerous? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. when it said on it, do not burn, too. He had a he had a biohazard sign on it. Mm. So I didn't know if that was because burning him 
would release, release whatever but i gotta feel like matter yeah exactly. although as soon yeah. as we saw the biohazard sign i was like uh someone's getting cut and someone's getting yeah. shot sure enough yeah. somebody's gonna outbreak this where's the monkey <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well i mean but i i still think you can incinerate something like that in some sort of you know if they have the the only way that would work is that they didn't want to move that body from where it was right. to a facility where it can handle it. Right. Okay, maybe I buy that, but I got to feel like the army could handle something like that. If they can put him in the coffin, they can move him. Shoot him into space. There yeah, we go. <laughs> Poor William, guys. I know. Yeah. This will mean nothing so to Sarah, hard. but he was, I loved him so much last Maybe. Season. Maybe he'll get a stamp. Maybe, maybe they'll give him a stamp. Yeah, that was rough. I mean, I didn't really think he was going to somehow survive. And I also like, of course, he has to die because the secret of Philip and Elizabeth's identity has to die with him so that they don't have to go back to the USSR. Like, I get it. But, you know, I got it when they killed Gus Fring, too. And it was still very sad. (laughs) Spoiler. Um, Can we talk about the second family house? scenario that we were introduced to yes with their son tuan yes and <laughs> um, they're uh yes they're um well at least they're on a theme eh? you know with their uh alter ego occupations you know yes travel, you know. yes um i need to look up how old the kid is who plays tuan because otherwise it's dirty okay it doesn't say but he's been an actor for a while let's assume he's older than he looks that kid is cute sorry <laughs> yeah he's nice he <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> 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 Who will fight me? <laughs> um, but I love that part too. Like the the amount of detail that they went into. Like they had a whole story yeah. about about how they got together, and it wasn't because they met on a plane. And like that, you know, when they after the when they go back to the house, they have to go through like how do you handle, you know, even the order of like which lights you turn mm. off when, like yeah. those those kinds of small details. Like this is the kind of thing when it happened. I was like, well, at least there's that for Sarah because I, I know. Like, yeah, and again, I think they feel more comfortable <laughs> getting more into those details the farther the show goes along, which is really cool. Yeah. Yes. And uh, there was also another thing that I liked, which is like so teeny, and I won't keep watching it because of that. But my husband did think that I might because I believe that uh, Chernenko is the premier currently of the Soviet Union. Yes. In this yep. timeline. Correct. Chernenko is like my go-to joke for someone who is so old that they're probably actually already dead. And uh, (laughs) Dan's like, oh, you love that. Maybe they'll do that joke. I'm like, no one else thinks that's That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Only Bunsky, but maybe. (laughs) Yeah, what's the deal with that that guy's storyline? You know, the... Oleg? uh, Yeah, Oleg. Like, uh, it really feels like somebody who's writing the show just really likes that guy and he's keeping keeping him in the yeah it is it, it does seem like wanted to do the to decor porn yeah. in that section of the story yeah, i noticed that too which Sorry, i was Nick, content saying, with having yeah. no idea what was going on or how he related to anything i was like oh wow <laughs> nick what were you say about oleg yeah i mean it, it does seem like they're stretching to keep him in but i'm i'm wondering if whatever he is doing is he's going to somehow end up involving stan like contacting stan or you know like working something out so that he can solve whatever his mission is without like jailing his father or whatever might happen Mm -hmm. they also kept nina in the game like well beyond her expiry date too yeah like that character lasted at least a whole season longer than she needed to for the same reason that yeah. it's, you know, Stan's tragic storyline. Yeah, Stan's and there was always the chance that Stan loneliness. would like, do something to implicate himself to save her. Right. 
Anybody else thought Stan was making craft dinner, mac and cheese? I did at first, but yeah. then when I went back and watched it again, it very it clearly is Alfredo. Lipton, Lipton fettuccine Alfredo yeah, in, yeah. A, in a sachet. <laughs> Try adding a shoelace. Yeah, I'm really glad the show's back. It's um, it's nice to have like you know a nice little tight, smart TV show back on on the air. Um, who, I'm interested to see where all the agriculture stuff is going. Like that, yeah. that it's only going that, up. That that, <laughs> that processy stuff is <laughs> prospects are growing sexier than agriculture. <laughs> Honestly, though, but like the, the idea of like <laughs> just ferreting out graft and corruption and stuff, like in a in mm. an area where it hasn't been horribly overcovered. Like honestly, I have to say, anytime a TV show has any kind of surprise like that, even if it's about something that like seems on its surface like it's going to be banal, but like. You know, the idea of putting a KGB agent into the agricultural, like into the whatever the food, the wheat board is right. <laughs> in the USSR and having him like figure out what's going wrong. That's fascinating to me. And oh. not just because I'm from Saskatchewan, although that's part of it. Slight tangent, um, d- apropos, but not uh, related to this show. Uh, if you're on Instagram, I just started following this great account called Soviet underscore logos. Ooh. And it's just logos Ooh. from like the 60s and on for various weird little companies and divisions of stuff. And uh, but they're all like, you know, train manufacturer <laughs> building from, you know, Kiev. Of course. And but they're all really great. Like there's a, it's a singular type of design, you know, sort of that. Um, it's like got a little bit of wit, but it's mostly just brutalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're really fun. Soviet underscore logos on Instagram. Speaking of wit and brutalism, we didn't talk about uh, Tuan cramming for fitting in as a high school student by watching the A-Team. I know. I was so happy for Dave that that happened. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even recognize that that's what it was. I had to point it out to him. Well, I wasn't paying attention. but I know. Yeah. Uh, all right, Nick, what else have we not talked about that you want to touch on before you move on from this segment? Well, I was just wondering if, if anyone else th- thinks that it appears to be crushingly obvious that the like that Tuan, you know, getting in with the Russian kid is not going to work out and that's going to end up being Paige's first mission. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Guess it wasn't yeah. <laughs> crushingly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think they're definitely Twan is like he seem they've they're already like planting the seeds for him being a loose cannon mm-hmm. with the, when he was describing um, Pasha's dad and saying like he's so anti Russia and I don't know why you didn't just put a bullet in his head like yeah. oh okay <laughs> like you're you're even tougher than Elizabeth that's hard to do but all right good to know yeah that makes sense to me yeah yeah yep and then would finally you know bring back that page storyline into the mix and be less of a forgotten. And then it would be like looping back after a season and a half. Yeah. Right. Which, well, yeah, and then nice. and then if Paige ends up like falling for the kid who is anti-Russia, then that's you know a whole other yeah. interesting right. plotline to explore. Nick Reinwell Jones, he knows TV. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, it is time to go around the dial. Spend a couple of weeks. What do you got, Tara? Well, Unreal is not back until the summer, but in its place is The Arrangement on E!, which is not quite the same. It doesn't take you behind the scenes of a TV show, but it takes you behind the scenes of a fake marriage that it seems very uh, 
very reminiscent of the Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes situation in as much as we know about it from like tabloid reports and stuff and what we can probably fill in with our own scandalous imaginations. Uh, an actress auditions for a part in a movie that's headlined by this huge A-list star and he likes her and then he sends her agent a contract for them to like get into a relationship and eventually get married and possibly even have kids and it's all laid out in this thing and it's awesome. He's also this guy <laughs> Kyle West is uh in a like a this he's involved with this organization called the Institute for the Higher Mind which is run by they couldn't actually put anyone who looks like Elron Hubbard in the show because no one would watch it. So instead, it's Michael Vartan. <laughs> so uh-huh. he's this dreamboat who runs a cult. Um, Which is what Elron Hubbard thought he looked like, probably. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> yes. Um, and they're also like they're involved in the Institute, but they he and his wife are also like producing partners of this this Tom Cruise character, Kyle West, who's played by Josh Henderson from the Dallas remake. Um and base it, like it's on E, so you know I get it. Like you're not used to going there for your scripted dramas, but it's it's really well done and really good. It would fit in perfectly fine on maybe not FX, but it would be perfectly fine on like USA or like unscripted Bravo. Like it's it's very well done and compelling. And if you know even five percent as much of the Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes story as I like slavishly followed at the time because I'm obsessed with Scientology. There's a lot here to like. Um, the character who plays the the a- aspiring actress, the Katie Holmes type character, is is kind of a newcomer. She's, I guess, had a recurring role on The Walking Dead this season, which we haven't been watching. But sh- uh, she's good. He's good. Michael Vartan has not had much to do in the pro- in the pilot, but I'm looking forward to him getting creepier. So it's on E! Sunday nights at 10, a very busy t- um, time slot, but uh, it's also rerun several times during the week. So... Just make sure you start it like maybe 30 seconds, start your recording 30 seconds in so you don't get any Kardashians and watch that is my recommendation. (laughs) And for my plug, I'm going to say past co-host of this show, Joe Reed, and uh, past EHD Mark One, no middle ground, sometime contributor Paul Quinn are doing a (laughs) podcast together about American crime, which starts this Sunday. So check that out. Watch for go to the homepage at previously.tv or look it up in your podcast app of choice. We don't know what it's called yet, but we'll figure that out. It's all very uh, it's coming together very quickly, but we're excited to hear how that goes. Nick. Uh, so I just wanted to mention crashing again. I did the new show fact sheet on it a few weeks back and, uh, it is now up to the point in the series that, that I watched. I watched the first three episodes. So I just wanted to comment a a little more in depth about my issues with it. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm very surprised just generally that this is a show that HBO thought was good enough for their lineup. Like it, especially considering that HBO effectively only has one night of original scripted programming a week, like, and the number of shows that they reportedly reject that are, that have like all kinds of amazing high profile talent attached. Um, it is, it is just like another one of those shows about a comedian and it's a white guy and it's populated with a lot of other white guys. And I, uh, I, I guess in the fourth episode, they finally introduced Sarah Silverman as one of the people that he stays with, but like that just is, way too little too late. I mean, that that sort of <laughs> intrigues me a little bit because I'm sure that, you know, she will not be one to put up with any of his shit. But it's still like, it's it, uh, the existence of it is, is still a little perplexing to me, aside from the fact that Judd <laughs> Apatow is attached. 
um, and has plenty of, of if, leverage. If I may HBO paint a picture, yeah. Nick, um, when the Jim Gaffigan show went off the air on TBS, if they slipped this show in in its place and you know didn't tell you the title, people would be like, "Oh yeah, it's that that <clears throat> white that white dude." Yeah, show. yeah, TBS <laughs> would be fine for it. Uh, yes. I said it before. Last time this came up, let's let's have a moratorium on comedians telling their life stories <laughs> yeah. through series from That's from rah. their later in life su- position of success and accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. or at the very least, in Clark's New America, you get one shot at that. And that's it. You get one project where you get to use, you know, your sleepwalking thing or your, you know. Your bout with cancer or your terrible divorce, and then you move on. Yeah, and then you start creating some new stuff. Yeah, let's not you know, you know. Here's the fifth project based on. <laughs> but speaking of <laughs> speaking of moving on, and creating new stuff, uh, I do highly recommend Mike Birbiglia. Thank God for jokes on Netflix. Uh, it, it's a it's an actual stand up special from Mike Birbiglia, so it's not really one of the one man show things. This is really more of a straight ahead, like just doing a full night of of stand up, and it, and it's fantastic. Uh, very 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 funny. He tells a, a great story about uh, hosting the I want to say the Independent Spirit Awards, but it might I think it might be something else where he had to introduce David O. Russell and did a whole bit on David O. Russell screaming at uh, Lily Tomlin and it was not well received at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that one is, is highly recommended if you, if you want someone who is just being funny with their comedy career and not trying to say, Oh, look at, look at how much I had to struggle. And um, <laughs> anywho, uh, for my plug, I have great news. Making the sausage is coming back imminently. Uh, so imminently, in fact, that it is uh, next week. And yes, yes. Uh, for the uh, for the first episode, I spoke with a friend of mine, uh, Britta London, who is a staff writer on Riverdale, and it was her very Ooh. first uh, job writing TV. So it's a very interesting conversation talking about how she got into that and what it was like to to come onto this show and uh, and kind of learn the ropes and everything. And cool. um, so it's a yeah, it's a it's a fun way to start it off. I have uh, a bunch of other cool ones on in the hopper, and uh, we'll hope to get another great season out. It's so uh, yeah, making the sausage available iTunes, Google Play, Everywhere Stitcher, else. all the all your places. Yeah. Every other Wednesday. Also on the yes, site. Every other yes. Wednesday. Yay! Sarah D. Bunting, what do you got? Hello, it's Grandpa Sarah's History Show Corner. Um, <laughs> I watched Back to Back. I don't recommend this, by the way. The recent episodes of American Experience concerning uh, the Oklahoma City bombing and Ruby Ridge. Oh, They're God. both excellent. You don't actually have to watch both because Oklahoma City is two hours and pulls in so much information about Ruby Ridge and Waco and the influences on Timothy McVeigh. It's like it's really bleak and they have this footage um, that they get up to the point in the, in the narrative where McVeigh is about to be executed and he's speaking to some law enforcement, just downloader basically. And uh, is talking about how law enforcement thinks they've won, but he's going to be a martyr for the cause. And then he says in the crudest possible terms, 168 to one is like the score. And it's just shit. Like it's chilling. Um, but it's also like a, a, a nearby evil I feel in the U S today. So it was, um, quite instructive. I felt to, to watch this and sort of get a, have a window opened into the mindsets of certain 
anti-government people that it's, you know, terrifying the lengths to which, et cetera. Um, again, you probably only need to watch the one. Uh, the Ruby Ridge episode does feature uh, Randy Weaver's daughter, Sarah, who it's pretty amazing that she agreed to participate in this, given that the the show seems to be fairly, like, not pro-government, but sympathetic to the government side of what happened, which was that basically her entire family was killed by snipers. So that's a pretty good get, but it's also, it's stern stuff. So if you can only stomach one, you should probably pick the other one. Uh, But American experience, as always, extremely enjoyable for history nerds. And, you know, these were not particularly soothing, but often the presidential ones are nice to fall asleep to. So if you really can't (laughs) deal with that kind of history, try the FDR wad of programming. It's like eight hours and uh, surely you'll fall asleep at some point. Uh, Speaking of falling asleep and things that I hope don't make you fall asleep, The Bladder Presents has spun off into its own podcast and is even more imminent. That will be uh, airing uh, three weeks out of four, three times a month. And the first episode should drop Thursday the 9th. So that's tomorrow as you're listening to this. Our first guest is Stephanie Green. We're talking about cold case files, and we'll also be talking about vintage crime every week. Uh, And we welcome your suggestions as to things that we should cover from the bygone era of true crime miniseries. You can also find that on the previously.tv homepage and all your fine podcast download instruments, iTunes, etc. Should mention that the uh, creepy music is going away. So if that scared you away from the segment... (laughs) It's okay. You can come back. There's different theme music. Yes. My sister it was going to be very excited about this because she was asking me specifically yesterday for true crime recommendations when I was telling her to not start watching Bates Motel. She uh, has a limited <laughs> selection in Canada. So the more you can stick to stuff that's actually on the air, the happier one Leah Kwan will be. I thought they had All single right. payer Do true crime shows in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I actually have like a show to talk about for the first time in probably about a month on this segment. Uh, Tara made me watch. I didn't even know it existed. She's like, here's a show that sounds like it is on paper, something that you might watch. And then she mumbled a whole bunch of stuff under her breath. That show was Time After Time, which is on ABC. Correct. And uh, if you don't know what it is, this is the premise. (laughs) H.G. Wells had a buddy in London named John something something. Stevenson. Who was a doctor. But it turns out John Stevenson really is. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Jack the Ripper. What? And so one night, Jack the Ripper kills a prostitute. Right. All right. And then... Goes to H.G. Wells' home for, you know, cigars and manly talk. But then the police come knocking at the door doing house-to-house searches for uh, the murderer. Now, uh, John Livingston, Livingston. uh, Jack the Ripper, you know, he's a really smart guy. So what he did was leave his uh, doctor tool case right by the door with all the murder weapons still inside, covered in blood. So... As the police are searching the house, he goes downstairs into the basement where H.G. Wells keeps 
his time machine. <laughs> Untested, but he goes in there and zip, zap, zippity, zoop. He gets transformed, uh, in, or rather transported uh, into the future, into his future, our present. Yep. Now, uh, about five in- minutes prior to this, I turn to Tara and I say, what's the conceit that somehow this show will do so that they can set this show in America? Well, let me tell you, the conceit is... <laughs> That uh, at some point in between H.G. Wells' present and our present, that time machine became a uh, an American museum artifact, and I believe it's actually supposed to be the history, natural history they, museum. They fudge right? it; yeah. they don't say it's actually the oh, Museum okay. of Natural History, the, but the, yes. the American History of Naturalness <laughs> Museum. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so then, blammo! It's Come now on. basically uh, forever the series take two. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, sort of immortals out of time in big cities. <laughs> Back up. No one remembers forever. They got canceled in one season. Forever with that was the Yoan Horatio Griffith Horatio Hornblower. Hornblower can't die show. Yeah. Uh, and Judd Hirsch. <laughs> as, Judd Hirsch. As some guy, maybe his dad. I don't know. Um, Just his friend. So anyway, so then the show basically becomes H.G. Wells, fish out of water, has to... Uh, you know, hunt Jack the Ripper in modern day New York City with friends and stuff. Basically, it's kind of like elementary, sort of. Yeah. But with like more curved knives. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Can I tell you something else that it is reminiscent of? Uh Oh, no. Yes. And get the the orchestral sting ready. (laughs) Yeah. A 1981 movie called Time After Time. Ah! Which is about H.G. Wells oh, chasing boy. Jack the Ripper into 1981 America to keep him from killing people. Arf. Yeah. Referenced um, in so the H- show fact sheet, I believe, by Chris Huff. And Mary Steenburgen plays the modern-day American that he, that H.G. Wells falls in love with. Oh. Well. Yeah. Thus it's- cementing her uh, legacy as a expert portrayer of people who fall in love with time travelers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he, we should say H.G. Wells is Freddie Stroma, who was Adam in the first season of Unreal, and <laughs> Jack the Ripper is, well, what's his nuts from Revenge? Bowman. Stupid guy with buffalo head, Sarah? <laughs> Bowman. Josh Bowman. Josh Bowman. I can't remember what his, his character name was. Or as I said while we're watching it, wow, Mac from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia really lost that weight. <laughs> Looking good. Yes, he Way to go, buddy. <laughs> He's got a beard like Mac from It's Always Sunny, for sure. Yeah. Um, and there is, of course, like time travel mysteries. And I do want to say they do, <laughs> they do try, they address the, why don't you just do this? But they do it in such a way that it actually is like giant, you know, light bulb ringed arrows pop up like, excuse, excuse. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, so why don't you just go back in time and fix this? Uh, well, reasons w- we, uh, we're not sure what would happen if we did that. Uh-huh. Even though in the course of the pilot, you obviously can tell that people going in the past has happened. Cause he likes writing letters to himself, you know, uh, from like 20 years ago to his like, you know, present day self. So it's actually happened, but they say, well, we can't do it because, you know, we might transport into the middle of the floor or something like that kind of <laughs> excuse. It was, it was, it was pretty lazy guys. Um, yeah. It delivers that mediocrity that only sort of network TV is delivering right now. That sort of high concept 
poor execution, like really bam, middle of the road. Like it's not so yeah. bad that you want to keep watching it. It's not so great that you want to recommend it. It's just, it is not even like good enough to have on a background TV. Cause you could be like, yep. you'd rather have the Simpsons or something else on that you, you know, can kind of, you know, play along with in your, you know, as you pay half attention to it's just guys, it's, it's, it's C minus. Yeah. It's real boring across the board. So, but check out the movie. I think it's on Netflix and it's not great, but it's like kind of enjoyably quirky and it's over after, <laughs> after the story ends. So that is a, that is a recommendation <laughs> time after time. It's over. <laughs> All right, everybody, it is time for the canon. Our guest, Nick Reinwell-Jones, is presenting. Take it away, Nick. Okay, for your canon consideration, I am presenting uh, a little scene show called Mad Men that was on the American Classics, American Movie Classics Network, which is probably why you've never heard of it. Um, It turns out they do original programming. Anyway, uh, this is season four, episode three, titled The Good News. Uh, So let's get the plot out of the way first. This is the one where Don goes to California, finds out Anna is dying of cancer, comes back to New York, and takes Lane out on the town for steak and hookers. (laughs) And also, uh, Joan and Greg argue some more about their future. That's about as detailed a recap as I'm going to give you because the plot is not what's great about this episode. There are plenty of episodes of Mad Men that are plot-heavy that focus on like the power struggle within Sterling Cooper or some kind of desperate quest to land an important account. And as much as I love a lot of those episodes, I chose this one because it just does a spectacular job of taking a simple but effective theme and using that theme to explore a few of the characters, mainly Don. And on that note, since um, we're talking about theme and I'm not getting too focused on the plot, I'm going to start with um, two clips that I have spliced together um, about starting from about 10 minutes into the episode. Both of them involve Stephanie, who's Anna Draper's niece, talking about her experiences at college. Stephanie's studying poli-sci at Cal. She should be studying music. Berkeley, are you sitting in? I agree with what they're doing, but somebody's got to go to class. So I'd say Laura was the worst for me. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W dot com 
and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. She had a nervous breakdown. One morning, she's reading the Bible instead of her psych book. The next morning, she woke me up, leaning over me with this crazy smile and said, Morning, Stephanie. Have you heard the good news? (laughs) There are worse things. No, there aren't. (laughs) So that second clip is where the title comes from. But between those two clips, we get a pretty clear um, stating of this episode's theme, which is the choices we have when we're confronted with an unpleasant reality. And as we just heard, those choices are you can protest, you can retreat into denial, or you can just suck it up and go to class, which is what Stephanie does. But that's definitely not the way Don lives. Don is constantly cycling between protest and denial. And through every season of the show, we wondered if he would ever make it to acceptance. And even the series finale left it somewhat up to the viewer to decide if he did. Um, And in fact, many of Don's myriad methods of denying reality are so memorable that they became catchphrases within the show. Like, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation, or it will shock you how much it never happened, and so on. Um, But as I mentioned, Don is presented with a very unpleasant reality early on in the episode, and let's hear now a clip from the scene where that happens. Anna is... She has cancer. It's why she broke her leg. It's in her bones. It's all over her body. I'm sorry. Cancer. Shit. I'm so sorry. Of course she's not gonna say a damn thing. She doesn't know. What? The doctor said she doesn't have long, so there's no reason to tell her. Some quacks out in Pedro? What are you going to do about it? My mom got a consultation. Your mother does not get to decide that. Please don't make me sorry that I told you. I didn't want you to leave here and not know. Okay, so here Don's reaction is kind of equal parts protest and denial. He's angry at the way the cancer is being handled and also doesn't want to believe that it's as bad as the doctors have said. Uh, Losing Anna is probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to Don. Um, She's the source of his identity in a very real way, and she's also the only person in his life who loves him unconditionally, as she herself points out later. So there's a lot riding on the situation for Don, a lot more than his ego, even though he certainly does lead with his ego when he starts arguing about it. Uh, He has another version of the same argument with Anna's sister, Patty, Stephanie's mother, the next morning. And in both cases, his protests are shot down, and ultimately, by the time he leaves California, he does accept that there's nothing he can do to make this any better, at least briefly. Uh, So he returns to Sterling Cooper and finds out that Lane has stayed there over the holidays, supposedly because he has too much work to do. But of course, we find out that that's at best a half truth. And he's really hiding out from an extended fight with his wife over her unwillingness to relocate the family to New York. But Lane's dysfunctional family has to be good for something. And it turns out that he has a fancy bottle of whiskey in his desk, which will prove quite useful, as we'll hear in this clip. I received something rather special from my father on my birthday. What is it? Who knows? He's one of those alcoholics who thinks that he's collecting. Chin chin. There's no hair bite at all. 
yes, it's booze to the rescue for at least, oh, the third or fourth <laughs> time in Don Draper's life. And this particular whiskey is so magical that it doesn't even have a bite, as Lane points out. So what could be a better solution for taking the bite out of both of their miserable lives? Uh, with somewhere between two and 15 drinks in him, Don loudly suggests that they go to the movies. And I think we better hear that clip just for the hell of it. We're going to the movies. Do you think we should? Howdy duty have a wooden dick. Zorba <laughs> the Greek. Seen it, but we'd see it again. It's a mad, mad, mad world. No kidding. Send me no flowers. No. That, <laughs> <laughs> of course, alluding to uh, Land's earlier flower mishap with Joan and his wife. Uh, so they end up going to see Godzilla. The audience is full of teenagers giving hand jobs, which is a club that our own Peggy Olson will join in the subsequent season. Uh, and then it's off to dinner at a steakhouse, which is Lane's opportunity to admit the truth about his life. He does like it in New York. He feels like he's become an American, but his wife is adamant about staying in London. And as it stands, they are officially on a break. Uh, Don has found himself in this situation before, as he points out, and he doesn't want to counsel Lane to get a divorce. So what he does instead is invite Lane to join him for some good, clean fun with moderately priced call girls. And by the end of the night, Lane is fully on board with the Don Draper reality avoidance plan, so much so that when it's time for him to close the $25 deal with his assigned sex worker, he takes off his glasses. And incidentally, we will see a lot more symbolism with Lane's glasses in the fifth season episode, Commissions and Fees, aka the one where he hangs himself. Um... We catch up with Don and Lane again in the harsh light of morning, and even though it's neither the first nor the last time for this, I would like to point out that John Hamm is doing some A-plus hangover acting this scene. <laughs> the face, voice, posture, everything just spot on. Not that I would know. Um, it's unclear whether Don is ready to get back to reality after this, but Lane definitely is. Uh, he insists on paying his share for the night, acknowledging that what he experienced was not true love but a transaction, although he will happily blend those two worlds later on in the same season. And he also tells Don, thank you for the welcome distraction, which of course is exactly what this was. But instead of heading out and facing the world, Don promptly goes to sleep. Uh, the episode ends with a traffic meeting at Sterling Cooper and Joan asking everyone if they're ready to start 1965. Spoiler alert, they are not. Uh, but speaking of Joan, she also gets her own storyline in this episode. And unlike Don, she's very prepared to accept and live in the real world. She's just having trouble getting that world defined for her. She wants to have a baby. She knows that her biological clock is ticking, but she can't get Greg to make concrete plans with her, in part because he's in denial himself about the likelihood of having to go to Vietnam. Uh, Joan tries to meet him halfway, and she creates the fantasy of celebrating New Year's Eve together, albeit on Hawaiian time, but only ends up slicing her finger open as a result, and the scene where Greg stitches her up is one of the few genuinely nice interactions they have in the entire course of their marriage. But Joan, like Lane, is all too aware that it's just a distraction from the uncertain reality of their future. And, spoiler alert, her fears were turning out to be well-founded. Um, I'm going to end with one last clip from way earlier in the episode that really encapsulates what the stakes are for Don at this point in his life. And this is from the scene where Anna tells him about seeing a UFO. Does that scare you? The idea of another civilization on another planet smart enough to find a way to get here? Doesn't scare me. But the odds are against it. Well, I saw something once. And I'm telling you, it knocked me sideways. I started thinking of everything I was sure was true. How flimsy it all might be. Everything in Don's world, including his identity, is flimsier than he can ever admit to himself. And over the rest of this season, that flimsy world does begin to collapse. But this is the episode where Don is clearly presented with the choices he have in the face of that collapse. 
and it's the thesis statement for the entire season. So while this episode may be light on plot, it does an exceptional job of illuminating mm-hmm. character, which is where Mad Men always shines the brightest. Um, there, Just an episode prior to this, Don has met Dr. Fay, who is kind of the one who represents accepting reality and understanding you know what the realities of life are and she's she's the the first person to actually kind of nail down what his his and really everyone else's difficulty living life is about the being torn between what you want versus what's expected of you and uh he you know over the rest of the season he comes closer and closer to uh to getting together with with Faye, which would probably indicate uh, taking making a move towards that but of course then at the last minute detours into the fantasy of megan which turns out to be uh not the greatest choice um but this is this is where we kind of set the stage for all that and i think it's a it's a great episode for showing off john ham's range he plays every shade of don draper and dick whitman in this hour sad happy angry and about a dozen flavors of intoxicated and that alone has to count for something so with all that said, I turn it over to the panel. I will go first and I will get the shallow stuff out of the way first. Um, this is also a real hot episode for Don Draper. Don Draper in a convertible. Don Draper coming on to a college girl in his car. He said something to her like, what if, you know, whatever he says. I don't remember the specifics. I just remember that I yelled out, okay. Um, <laughs> and Don, Don Draper painting a wall in his underwear. I mean, it's, you know, it's all good. But... Um, I do think his storyline would have been it, there's a there's a way this episode could have gone wrong, which is that it ends with him leaving California, not having told Anna anything. I mean, I think it was the, certainly the right choice that he he came around to realizing it was not his place to tell her and that he didn't know better than her family. But if it ended there, it would have been such a different, worse episode. But the fact that we then get to see him come back to New York and be the best Don he thinks he can be to Lane in his limited capacity right. is like, that's so much the character in a, in microcosm. Um, you know, every part of it, getting drunk, eating a sandwich, going to the movies, <laughs> pouring the good scotch all over the rug, which yeah. when it happened, I was like, Oh, Sarah and Nick both don't like that. Um, <laughs> I hate scotch. I was fine with it. <laughs> okay. no, I'm not a scotch drinker either. So, <laughs> Whatever the good booze got got wasted because he was already too drunk to pour it into the flask. Which, by the way, use a he, funnel. Seriously, yeah, he had. But the fact that he had a flask at the office is like, <laughs> of course he does. Um, but yes, you're right. It's it's a great episode for John Hamm as an actor. Um, for the reasons that you said, it's 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 showing us every. Uh, his his good impulses, his better judgment, his worst impulses, his terrible judgment, um, you know, sort of all in, in that order. Um, and seeing him struggle with the, with what to do about Anna and whether to, whether it's right to tell her or not, I think was was well written and very well performed by him in particular. And um, also a shout out to Joan's storyline, which you're right. It's you know, it was never that interesting to watch her with Greg just because we all knew it was never going to end well and it was beneath her. But I always appreciated when we got to see her in control at work um, because that's where she shone. That's to me what made her such an amazing character is that she's the consummate professional always, including when she's yelling at someone who's fucked up something enormous and completely (laughs) deserves to be fired on the spot as she is. Uh, Played Um, by a uh, high school mate of mine. (laughs) 
<laughs> just going to turn it over to you so that you can pick that up. So yeah, uh, excellent presentation. Great episode. It was such a pleasure to watch it again. Sarah. Yeah, I forgot my girl Bane Gibby was uh, in this. She's the secretary who gets fired and she and I both played nuns in a play called Catholic School Girls. No, it's not a porno. <laughs> um, I also enjoyed seeing Katie Lotz, who played Stephanie. I really like that actress. I always think she's good and has a nice touch and a lane heavy episode is uh never gonna be a bad thing in my book except you know the ultimate disastrous lane heavy episode <laughs> sigh um i love Le- my love for lane is so well known that i received a uh vintage replica mets pennant just like his for christmas this year um with all that said this episode, like, there was a lot to like in this episode, but it's like, it's Lane heavy. Yay! Except he's being <laughs> dick to Joan. Boo. And, <laughs> like, I love, you know, I love Lane and Katie Lotz. Yay! I hate Dr. Greg, and he's, you know, getting good stuff to do. Boo. And <laughs> knowing how it turns out, it doesn't help, because he's just such a smarm ball. I hate that guy. Um, and I, there's something just, like, bifurcated about the episode that doesn't quite hang together for me uh but nick i really like your argument that that's the point and that there's these two you know it and superego protest and denial um versions of his own world that don is always confronted with in, like including his own name and identity and that that sort of argues in favor of that being an intentional choice versus the writers being a little bit grab baggy with the storytelling in this episode. So I'm not, I'm not sure still how I'm going to vote on this because I actually didn't take hardly any notes while I was watching it, which can either mean that I don't care (laughs) about whatever I'm watching or that I'm captivated. So, but you know, that was also bifurcated for me. I'm not, I'm not sure how, how I'm going to vote, but the presentation was uh, excellent and gave me some more things to think about. Dave. Don't when you paint a wall, don't you start with the brush <laughs> yes. and end but with of the course, roller? Yes, but are, is anyone surprised that Don Draper is not as good a painter as Mark on Playing House? Of course not. He's he's <laughs> a, he's sloppy. Oh, he I leaves wish messes I could, wherever I I he goes. Trim, strip. It's paint, like clean, paint. clean tape, trim. Wipe, I don't remember prime. Oh, that bothered me so much. I was just drinking out of that mug today, and I can't remember the order. Oh. Yes, Sarah has a mug that I got. Oh, really? Her. Yes, I got <laughs> oh, it yeah, for right. her. Um, and then I got it for John Ramos, so it's going yeah, around. Love it. <laughs> I guess that could be a character trait, but it still, none, none, nevertheless, I was like, no, you must first. No, but to me, that was that was completely in line with how Don is. Like he he started with the gesture of like I'll I'll do the wrecked part first without yes. thinking like as she says, yeah. a, pa- a, pa- a patch is as bad as a stain yeah. or whatever she says. He's she's right. I get what you're saying, Sarah, about like you know this episode kind of feeling like you know a little Jekyll and Heidi, a little little split. Uh-huh. Um, but I do kind of buy into that. You know, it, it's 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 the compare and contrast, you know, uh, setup that makes it all work. Um, when he goes back to New York and, you know, has the night on, on the town with Lane sort of as a, a gift to him and, and himself to Lane and himself, you know, kind of make him feel better about things that are going on. Um, 
that's where the episode really kind of clicked in for me. Um, when it flips over to New York City and we get like Lane with his Texas belt buckle steak uh, <laughs> moment True. where he's totally hammered and just stands up. I got a Texas belt buckle, slaps a steak on his junk. <laughs> Such um, a waste of steak. Ew. <laughs> um yeah i love the, that, that moment it's really great but i agree with nick on on, on this one that it's the light in the dark it kind of works and as tara said as an acting forum for john ham he gets to do everything in this episode um even sign his name like a five-year-old on a wall that's bad penmanship brushmanship um, <laughs> that's better than i can do <laughs> um but yeah so I, I i agree with uh tara and i agree with nick and so i guess we'll uh it doesn't really matter so i'm gonna vote yes tara you're gonna vote yes i am so uh sarah uh you're on the fence uh reluctant uh and respectful no all right but Mad Men, uh, season four, episode three, The Good News. You are hereby inducted into the extra Hot Great Game. Americans love a winner yeah. and will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for a winner and a loser of the week. Sarah has our winner. I do. It's Arnold, who um, I don't know if he jumped or was pushed off the Celebrity Apprentice. I don't really care. Here's what I care about. Trump tried to needle him about it on Twitter, and Arnold was like, uh, you need a fact checker and a new joke writer. Bitch, bye. <laughs> Which I'm sort of, and I'm sort of loving that he always posts a little picture of himself. Yeah. These, like, anti-Trump tweets that's just like, ha, I don't, I don't know. I'm finding it charming. He's also gross, but less gross, and the enemy of my enemy is less gross yes winner uh, loser of the week loser of the week uh all the fans of eyewitness on usa are gonna have to try and go on without it that was a show that existed and got canceled last week I'd never heard of it apparently it was a remake of some european thing and now it's over sorry julianne nicholson <laughs> good better luck next time oh honey. speaking of better luck next time do you know what time <laughs> it is well dave it's non-regulation gay time <laughs> It's also forget where all the buttons are time. Hello. I wrote a game this week. Yay. And this game is, well, in honor of our trade crafty lead topic, this game is called Spies Like Them. It's very simple. I'll give you the name of a fictional secret agent from the world of television. If you can give me both the actor who played this agent and the TV show that he or she is from, you get two points. If you want a hint, I will give you either the actor or the show, and you can decide. And then if you get it from the hint, it's one point. And I have a couple of notes. Number one, mostly these are full-time professional agents, but for fun, I've mixed in a couple of characters who went undercover temporarily to pull off a law enforcement or investigative operation. Number two, I think some are FBI agents as opposed to spies, but let's just open our minds to the spirit of the game and not be dicks about it. And number three, a few shows come up more than once, but the actors are all unique. There are 36 questions and a tiebreaker. Does anyone have any questions? I'll keep score. Dave will keep score. I'm good. Okay. Good. We will start with valued guest. All right. We'll start with Nick and then we'll go uh, westward around the world next to Dave and then finally with Sarah. Are you ready to play 
Spies like them. Yes. Yeah. All right. Who's first? Nick. Riley Finn. Uh, that is Mark Lucas on Buffy. Correct for two points. All right. Dave. Mm-hmm. Amy Santiago. Mm, give uh, that's the character. Uh, give me the, give me the actor. I guess Melissa Fumero. Oh, um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Correct for one point. Sarah, Annie Walker. Annie Walker. Annie Walker. Annie Walker. Uh, can I get the actor, please? Piper Parabo. Good choice of clue. Oh, God. What the f- what Failius. What's that thing called? <laughs> Failius. <laughs> that is a good alternative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Handled? Benson? I don't know. Covert. Uh, uh, oh, shit. Covert. Something. Affairs. <laughs> Yes, Dave is right. Uh, I don't know what the steel meal situation is. Well, it's non-regulation. Let's oh, say right. It's none. non-regulation doesn't count. All right. Back to Nick. Ricardo Tubbs. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so that's, uh, I, I don't know which was which. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so young. So, uh, wait. Don Johnson on uh, Miami Vice? Well... I guess I'll give you one point. Yes, it's Miami Vice. Yeah, that was <clears throat> Miami Vice is correct, but it's Philip Michael Thomas. Dave. Yeah. Elliot Stabler. Elliot Stabler. Oh, is uh, uh that's a uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and that is why am I drawing a blank? <laughs> oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> he's the. He's, I know you know he it. He likes to hump fridges. He does. He sits at the salad bar and stares into the <laughs> eyes of uh, Elias Coteus. Elias Coteus. What is his name? His name is. No, everyone's yelling at me. <laughs> Everybody listening to this is like, you stupid dumb fuck. Oh my God. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, uh, use not? that melon of yours, Dave. Come on. It is Christopher. Mulaney. Mulaney. Ah! <laughs> oh, all right, all right. I'll, come on. I will give it to you because you oh, did say God. it eventually. Fine. Guys, he's not going to win this game anyway. All right, Sarah. <laughs> picky smiles on you. Yes. Abraham Woodhull. Oh, Jesus. Okay, that is <laughs> turn Washington spies. Yes. And that fine gentleman was played by Jamie Bell. Correct for two points. Uh, Picky smiles on you too, Nick. Philip Jennings. <laughs> Philip Jennings. Oh, <laughs> Matthew Reese on the Americans. Correct for two points, Dave. Yeah. See, my Achilles heel is actor names. I'm so bad. Well, let's see how this one goes. All right. MacGyver. <laughs> MacGyver. Uh, that is Dean mm-hmm. Anderson. Mm-hmm. No. It's not. It's Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean Anderson. But you can you can get one one point for the show. All right. The character's name is MacGyver. (laughs) All right. Well, the show's MacGyver, but it's fine. Okay. Back to oh Sarah, Piggy is really 
up your ass today in a good way. Big pussy bump and zero. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be the Sopranos. Vinny Pastore. Yeah, not technically undercover, but running it up. So I figured it counted. All right. You back wished. to yeah. Nick. Okay. Emma Peel. Emma Peel. That is Diana Rigg on the Avengers. Correct. Dave. Yeah. Lenny Wozniak. Lenny Wozniak. Yep. Wozniak. You can ask for a hint. I, I realize that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, let's do actor. Steve Buscemi. Lenny Wozniak. Oh, is this 30 Rock? Yes, for one point. Uh, who is next? This is uh, Sarah. Sarah. Elizabeth Jennings. Uh, that would be Carrie Russell on The Americans. Correct for two points. Nick. Sterling Archer. Oh, uh, John Benjamin on Archer. I mean, it's H. John <laughs> Benjamin, but you get one point for Archer. Um, Sarah. No. No, nope, Dave. Dave. Peter Quinn. Peter Quinn is, oh, okay, so this is Homeland. Yep. That guy's name is, he's got a name that's like, hey, I saw a name like that. Rupert Friend? <laughs> yes. Good job, Dave. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Now Surprise even myself, guys. <laughs> it's Sarah now, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sonny Crockett. Oh, this is Don Johnson on Miami Vice. Correct. Let's do a score break. This score break brought to you by Fridge Magnets. <laughs> Letters or places. Buy them today. Uh, Nick has eight points, followed by Sarah with eight points. And then me with seven points. So Ooh. eight, Ooh. eight, seven. Exciting. Back to, to the action. Nick, Tom Hansen. Tom Hansen? Um, God damn it. I'll take the actor. <laughs> Johnny Depp. Oh, uh, 21 Jump Street. Correct for one point. David T. Cole. Yes, ma'am. Lana Kane. Lana Kane is Alicia Tyler. Ty, 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 wait, what's it? Aisha. That's not the part of the name you should be. <laughs> <laughs> he said it right the second time. And then the show is Archer. What is her name? Aisha Tyler. Correct. For two points. Uh, Sarah DeBunting. Guys, you got to grade on the curve when it comes to Dave and names. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's non-regulation. None of this counts. Sarah. Um, no, <laughs> that's not true. Oh, okay. Jesus. Sarah. Stop. Jack Bauer. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland on 24. Correct for two points. Nick. Also known as the Jack Bauer Hour of Power. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Templeton Face Man Peck. Mm. Oh. Um, <laughs> is that uh, George Pippard on the A-team? Oh. Correct for one point. It's Dirk Benedict on the A-team. Uh, well. All Dave. right. Dave. Yes, ma'am. Angie Tribeca. Angie Tribeca is Angie Tribeca uh-huh. and that is that is her name <laughs> mm-hmm. is the Rashida following. Jones correct for two points all right Sarah this is this is a super was, fudgy one but I know you're gonna get it Radish Jones <laughs> <laughs> not Radish Jones Sarah Andrea Zuckerman oh <laughs> 
She went undercover Gabrielle for the- Carteris <laughs> on Beverly Hills 90210. Yes. Is this because of the cafeteria story? <laughs> yes. That happened completely off screen. Yes. I wrote the game. Uh, I get to put in shit like that. Nick. I'm into it. Jill Monroe. Um, I'll take the actress. Good choice. Farrah Fawcett. Mm. Oh, uh, the bionic woman. Oh. Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. Charlie, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. David T. Cole. Yes, ma'am. Chris Monsanto. Chris Monsanto. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, uh, I'm not entirely sure about this one. But I was going to take a. Oh, wait, what's his name, though? Remember, these are the character. This is the character name. I know. Okay. But I, you know, I'm not going to remember his name, his the actor's name. I don't think. Is his name? Is his name Chris? All right, I was going to go for it. Fuck it. Let's do it. Throw a caution into the wind. Okay. Okay. Is that <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Imperioli from The Sopranos? No. Ah, shit. <laughs> I should have told you to end. That's Chris Elliott from Eagleheart. It's Michael Imperioli. Michael Imperioli. Yes. Okay. Moltisanti, you weren't that far off. Yeah. No, you weren't. It's yeah, but uh, you know, as long as Tara gets to laugh at me for something that was, yeah, you. Fuck, oh, no. <laughs> Fuck you, Tara Ariano. <laughs> you go to hell. You go to hell if you die. Sarah, <clears throat> Jake Peralta. No. Uh, that is. Oh my god. All right, it's Brooklyn Nine Nine, and the actor is that guy. Yeah. Christopher Maloney in a box. It's not Christopher Maloney. I do Maloney. not remember Don't his name. Dave. Hello? Hello? I don't oh. remember his name. Oh, okay. For one point, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is correct. It's Andy Samberg. Uh, yes. Let's do another score break. Yeah. Why not? Okay. All right. I guess... <laughs> Tara's not going to play the music. All right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Don't worry about it. All right. Nick has 10 points, followed by David T. Cole with 11 points. And then up at the top what? is Sarah Debunting with 13. <gasps> 10, 11, oh, 13. Man. All right. Back to Nick. Got my ass in gear. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel good about this one for you. Olivia Benson. Oh, um, that's a... Uh, uh, Law and Order SVU and um, Mariska Hargitay. Correct for two points. Dave. Uh-huh. Sydney Bristow. All right. That is Jennifer Gardner. 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 Without a D. Yes. And no D. <laughs> this is a uh, real alias known as Feralius. Yes. Not Phalius <laughs> like Covert Affairs. <laughs> Sarah. Alex Parrish with two R's. Alex Parrish. Interesting. Actor, please. Priyanka Chopra. Quantico? Correct for one point. Huh. Nick. Elizabeth Keene. Elizabeth Keene. That sounds K- familiar. K-E-E-N. But... Sorry, what is it? K- Elizabeth Keene, K-E-E-N. K-E-E-N. Like the word. Um, can I have the actress? Megan Boone. 
Boom. You will not get this that one. That was not a boon. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Sarah, do you know? The lackluster, I mean, the blacklist. Correct. Oh. <laughs> yeah. nope. Didn't Dave. Of that one. Yes, ma'am. Chuck Bartowski. Chuck Bartowski. Oh, I'm never going to get the actor's name, but the, mo- the, the show's thing of hope is Chuck. That is correct. And the, the guy's uh-huh. name oh. is not Adam Brody. No, it's not. <laughs> just kind of look like though. Though, Zachary Should Levi. Should be. Adam Brody-ish. Yes. What's his name? Zachary Levi. Ah, right. He was in Thor. I remember that. Thor 2 or something. He replaced was somebody. He? Yeah, he yeah, replaced he was. Oh, yeah, somebody. he was. In one, I think, yeah. Rose Court or whatever the fuck. Okay, yeah. Sarah. Swordman. Sure. Maxwell Smart. Um, well, that's Get Smart. Yep. But I do not remember the actor's name. For one point, that is correct. The actor is Don Adams. Oh, right. Sure. All right, let's do one more score break, and then these are going to be your last three questions, because I accidentally put someone in twice, so I'm going to have a bunch for shits and giggles. All right, so everybody has one question left, or two questions? Everyone has one question left. All right. Dave's closing the gap. Here we go. (laughs) Sarah D. Bunting up top with 15. David T. Cole right behind with 14. Nope. Closing the gap. 12. Oh, boy. Well, here we go. Nick. Carrie Matheson. Oh, uh, Claire Danes on Homeland. Correct for two points. Hang on! <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Dave. Yeah. Michael Vaughn. Michael Vaughn is from Ferelius. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck me. Michael Vaughn is... I don't know. What the fuck is his name? Michael Vaughn. Michael Vaughn. <laughs> what is your name? In real life, Michael Vaughn is whatever Michael Vaughn can. Is Michael Vartan? No, it's right. That's right. Wrong finger. Sorry. All right, Sarah. Oh God. Oh boy. Juliana Crane. Oh shit. Oh fuck her. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The character. That is the man in the high castle. Yep. And that actress's name is Alexa Davalos. Wow. Yes. Where did I, I get that? that? I can't, I can't be oh. mad at that win with that pull. Oh, Let's get now the we final got music. score. Yes. All right. We got, we have, uh, we have some shits and giggles score breakers or score. Whatever, well, Sarah breakers. wins that one with 17 points to my 16 to Pretty Nick's good. 14. Very good. Tom was right that everyone. I wouldn't win, but neither did I lose. No, you didn't. That was All right. Nick. Are you going to keep track of these for funsies or should we play them? For yeah, just giggles? go ahead. Okay. So whoever uh, buzzes in first wins. We'll just, you can do, you can do either the show or the or the actor, All whichever right. you think of first. Okay. All right, so here we go. Nina Myers. 24. Correct. Oh my God, how did you remember that? I don't know. Uh, I was trying to think of the actress. I it probably thinking. pushed something really important out. <laughs> probably. <laughs> like how to poo on the toilet or something. <laughs> oh, great. Know. Well, yeah. we'll keep you posted on that. Jonathan Pine. <laughs> Jonathan what? Pine. Oh, uh, oh uh, the night manager. <laughs> Correct. Good job, Nick. I was going to say Star Trek. We think of Jonathan Frakes. Captain Captain Pine. Oh, right. Jonathan Frakes and Chris Pine. Yeah. And our last one, Phil Coulson. 
Uh, Agents of Shield. Correct. Oh. Very good. Dave. Good job, everybody. All right. <clears throat> so here we go. We're moving. Here we go. Ow! Oh, sorry. I can't hear anything. Usually, there we go. Something here. Hang on. I'm just gonna start that over so I can edit that. Oh, that. All right, everybody, that is it. Ow, my leg hurts. For another episode of Extra Hot Great. We dug up our thoughts on the season premiere of The Americans before going around the dial with stops at The Arrangement, Crashing, American Experience, and Time After Time. Nick pitched us Mad Men's The Good News for the Canon, and the good news was he got the account. <laughs> we crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah D. Bunting was the winner of this week's non-regulation game time. What's that actress's name again? Alexa Davalos. Alexa Davalos. Yep. Remember. We're listening. Ah. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tari Ariana. I am not ready for 1965. Sarah D. Bunting. Maybe you'll get a stamp. <laughs> and Nikolai Reinwell Jones. Does Howdy Doody have wooden dick? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Wow, that really, that really tied the room together. <laughs> we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. No one knows why we're here anyway. Because there's work to do. And I understand that all men are dizzy and powerless to refuse you, but consider me the incorruptible exception. Fried chicken, indeed. This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network.